Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the WIMP podcast. No more boxes. I'm Jesse Draper and it's been a minute. Okay, I am back. I'm in my office. It's a Thursday afternoon. It's balmy, 80-some degrees. And in my office at Michigan State, the heaters are still on. Michigan State likes to run that hot until you can't hot no more. So my windows are open, which isn't much better because, again, it's 80-some degrees outside. My office temperature right now reads at 82. You might hear some noise coming from outdoors. I think it's pretty good. I did a little test. I didn't hear too much. Um, but hey, how's it going? Uh, I said in the uh, little tag here at the beginning, this is episode 17. For those of you who've been following along, there was a previous episode 17. Uh, but for a number of reasons, I'm deleting that and we're starting over. So, and that's part of where I've been. So, uh, Listeners, you know that this spring has been difficult for those of us in the East Lansing area for a number of different reasons. Um, Difficult for me with stuff going on with my kids' school, with obviously the tragedy at Michigan State on February 13th. And then uh, I was working on an episode. I ran into some technical issues. I had to scrap it. And I made a really poor decision to do a quick, hasty episode responding to uh, an email from a listener. And it was no good. And I just felt like I lost the script. I felt like I lost the spirit of wimp and what I'm trying to do here. So I had to shut it down, dream it up again. Um, I've been busy as I'll get out. I have a senior graduating. I have, uh, I had two classes, which is more than I've usually had on top of my full-time job. So it's been, uh, it's been a little bit busy and, uh, you know, I, I've lost the Tao of wimp. And uh, for those of you not familiar with what I just said there, the word Tao, uh, Taoism is a philosophy in ancient Chinese philosophy. The Tao is essentially the way, right? Just the natural way of things, the flow of things. When you're in the Tao, things are happening as they should. When you are forcing things, you're missing the point. Uh, And I was forcing things and missing the point. And so we're getting back to the Tao of Wimp and what this podcast is all about. Uh, so this episode, uh, no more boxes. I've been teasing this on Instagram. If you're a follower there, you've seen this. Um, I've also been, uh, you heard the music to that tag, which was a song called baby again by Fred again, uh, Fortet and Skrillex. I've been binging Fred again. He's a, a British producer, DJ musician. Uh, really hard. If you're not familiar with them, you should go check them out. Um, But anyway, uh, that's where that sound bit came from. Um, So I've been stewing on this notion of no more boxes based on some things that have come up in our our lives recently, Um, my own understanding of things, um, and, and basically the idea of looking at things that have been limiting, limiting me, uh, limiting 
um, just my growth, my, my fullest self. Right. Uh, and so I want to talk about in this episode, this notion of, of, of boxes. And what do I mean by boxes? Um, if you've listened previously, when I've talked about, uh, my journey spiritually, you've heard that reference before when I talked about, you know, trying to get outside of a, of what I felt was a too narrowly confined box in terms of what is the sanctioned uh, expression of uh, Christianity, which was the the faith tradition that I grew up in. Uh, and sp- specifically, uh, the faith tradition I grew up in was a non-denominational Protestant, probably reformed in its flavor. And if you're not a Christian, most of that doesn't mean anything to you. But if you are a Christian, now you know where we're at. Um, but so... You know, the idea of boxes, I want to first posit the notion that as human beings, we naturally crave boxes. We find comfort in boxes. And those boxes come in a number of different areas of our lives. Um, as I mentioned previously, religion, uh, other, area would, uh, other areas might include politics, um, knowledge, of or belief in yourself, um, notions of us versus them, right? An understanding of what the us is, that's a box that we create, um, which, you know, helps define a, a sharp sense of inside, outside, same versus different. We crave things that we understand. We crave things that are like us, that are similar to us, you know, ultimately, we find comfort in what we know. Uh, but boxes, you know, can be both created by ourselves, by our ego. So our ego, right, is that mechanism in our minds that is about the self-defense of us. It is a, it is a survival mechanism. The ego is about distinguishing us versus that in the name of protecting that notion of whatever us is that the that gets built up in the ego as we grow in life and are conditioned by the forces in our life, whether they be family, religion, school, you know, any number of these different things. Trauma, most certainly, right? Um, well, we so we we learn to find comfort in these boxes, some of which are, like I said, created by us, but some of them are also created. Uh, externally and handed to us by typically uh, some form of an authority figure. Now, sometimes that's an authority figure that we naturally have a deep amount of trust in, say, a a parental figure, right? And then we are trained by our our parents uh, or other, you know, form of of, uh, elder family member, you know, whoever is that kind of mentor, you know, real close blood related type of a family member um, to to accept and to take as um, truth authority from other figures. And so one of those figures might be uh, the priest or the pastor uh, of your church, right? Or the, the rabbi or, um, you know, pick your, your religious um, perspective, but that, that authority figure. Um, it might be, and often is, an authority figure in the form of a teacher, right, in a schooling system. 
uh, a coach, um, a trainer or a, or a, a master slash sensei, right? If you're doing like a, a martial arts type of an activity, if you are somebody with military background, right? Authority is very natural to you. You are that hierarchy of, of command is, is drilled into you and your understanding of who you're answerable to and who shapes the world as you see it. So we are trained to identify, accept, embrace, and internalize authority figures. And those authority figures then will contribute to the shaping of, the defining of, and the passing on to us these boxes, these ways for us to understand whatever aspect of our life this authority figure is responsible for. So let's start with school. One thing that I have fun uh, saying to my kids every now and again is like, look, I get it. You have a hard time understanding why algebra in eighth grade is going to have any meaning for your life at the age of 23 or beyond, right? Um, but school is a process whereby we are trained to learn what is expected of us in the society we live in. You're trained to know that you're supposed to show up on time, that you're supposed to learn from and listen to authority figures, that you're going to be handed, you know, so a lot of this also comes from, you know, being trained into uh, the economic capitalist uh, world that we live in, right? Because let's be honest, when you're, when you're coming out of school, right, you go to school to learn a bunch of stuff. So at the beginning, we think of school as a place of knowledge, but ultimately by the time you're getting out of high school, into trade school, into college, and you're coming out of that, education is to train you to plug into the economic system. So you're learning to show up on time, who you're answerable to, what are the tasks that you're responsible for, how do you learn how to do those tasks efficiently, on time, with excellence, right? And then you're rewarded for that effort, whether that comes in the form of a grade, whether that comes in the form of some kind of award, or whether that comes in the form of a salary or a promotion or what have you. But so that education system is also ultimately, it creates a box in which we live. And so I tell my kids like you are, school is for you to learn the rules of this society so you understand what the expectations are of you in the society, what the, the consequences for uh, falling out of those expectations are, and then figuring out where you can and when you can bend those rules to live your life the way that you need to, um, right? But it's, so it's basically how do you manage the box and how much do you internalize that? Um, you know, I hope that, that ultimately for example, my kids, when they come out of their education system, they understand that they've been trained to understand this is how the world works. They've been trained to, to kind of figure out what kind of things that they're interested in. But ultimately, what I want them to do is to find meaning, purpose, uh, and value in the life that is theirs that they're going to live. I want to kind of teach them to outgrow the box, right? Religiously, boxes are fundamental. 
I think for the vast majority of, you know, the main worldwide religions, there are different expressions of them. And, and I'll get into that a little bit more, but ultimately there is a set of, this is, these are the rules. These are the, these are the truths that we hold that give shape to and definition to the box that is how you understand the world that you live in, right? Oftentimes that comes uh, first and foremost in some form of a text, right? So someone way back in ancient times worked out what these rules, what this way of being is, whether that was something that they felt was passed to them from uh, God, uh, deity, whatever, uh, passed down orally from forefathers, from elders, what have you. But in some way, shape or form, they decided that or were convinced that this is how we make sense of who we are, why we're here and what we're here to do. So this is the box that gives us an understanding of that. And that box creates a relative level of comfort, like I had mentioned before, uh, a level of certainty, right? Why are we here? That's an important question that a lot of people ask. What's the purpose for this, this experience? And you know, in this world, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of death. And so with that uncertainty, there comes a desire for meaning making, for a box that's gonna help me figure all this out and what it's supposed to be. So how do we understand what that box is? And depending on where you were born, when you were born and where you grew up, you were introduced to an authority figure, a tradition, and a script that helps you form the box for that understanding. Now, everything that I've just said to this point would probably seem to make perfect sense. It gets a little problematic, and I'll just use my own tradition. For example, in the Protestant tradition, where all of a sudden the box morphs. And so we start with one sense of faith, which was originally the Jewish tradition, the Torah, the prophets, right? Those kinds of things. Then Jesus comes along and he has disciples and they write a new meaning and build from and onto that original Jewish tradition. And they create the, the Christianity that we've known. And at some point, you know, Really, ultimately, when that growing faith and working out of understanding of the new box and what that means in light of uh, the life and, and legacy of Jesus, once that faith ultimately marries itself with the church and the religious leadership and structures and hierarchies, and then that of the state, when these councils that were put together uh, under the authority of the emperor of Rome and the church elders and all of this, the boxes then were started to be created. And at some point we decided, or they decided, this is where the box ends, right? 
these these are the words that are permissible to define the box. This is when we stop, right? So if you're just chronologically looking through a Bible, for example, you get to the book of Revelation, boom, that's the end. No more. That's the that's the the be all end all of the box, right? Um, and so it starts there, and then we have what becomes the Catholic Church, and then we have the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, then we have the Protestant Reformation, then we have multiple Protestant Reformations and endless splintering. But in almost every single one of those, there is a sense of this is the box that makes sense for how we understand the truth of the box, right? And so if you're not, for example, following the precepts of the Reformed tradition, or you have some sense of the understanding of uh, the way the world works, what's allowable, what's not allowable. Um, I'm just speaking in broad strokes here, but um, you're outside of the box of recognized, sanctioned truth, right? And so in religion in particular, and this can apply to everything else, but religion is a good, good place to start with this before the break. When you're outside of the box and you're dealing with the subject matter, like the meaning of all things, right? And if you're doing so within a tradition that involves an understanding of an afterlife that is fiercely divided between in and out, us and them, saved, unsaved, that box is held together with an intense, powerful, unshakable glue that is fear. So what are we afraid of? We're afraid of the unknown. What really happens to us when we die? We're afraid of the unsanctioned, the unapproved. We've been so ingrained to live within authority structures that when we live outside of that, we fear the repercussions, the punishment, the judgment that comes from disobeying the authority figure, the authority structure that's in place. We fear the loss of certainty, of just knowing that internal peace that you feel, although I would posit that that is a largely a, a conditional false sense of peace, but I might get to that in a minute, but of, of certainty of, of saying like, okay, I know what I know and there it is. But I'm gonna push back against that last bit initially because even in the script, even in the text, right? You hear about doubt. You read through the Psalms of the Old Testament, fear, doubt, uncertainty. Paul in the New Testament talks about working out your faith with fear and trembling. So there is really no real, I mean, we talk a big game in religious circles about the certainty of faith and the internal peace that that brings. But I think ultimately that's a, a soothing mechanism 
I don't know that we can actually say that that is a true rock bottom certainty. And I know that we push back from, from people of faith, certainly. And I, I get it. And I'm not trying to rock your boat. But what I'm trying to say is there is this sense of, but what if it's slightly different? And I think you can't help but think that, right? Even if you are like fiercely determined. And again, I'm going to work within the Christian context because that's what I'm most familiar with. If you are of the Muslim faith, the Hindu faith, uh, Buddhist faith, some other form of expression of faith, you're better equipped to to see how this works out in your own tradition. But I, but I think, you know, you, you'll probably find analogs that match up with this. But so within the, within the Christian faith, within the Protestant, right, version of that, we have a certainty that just constantly, constantly, constantly gets shaken up and splintered because we have so many new different denominations, so many versions of denominations, so many splits over this, that, or the other doctrine. And why do these things keep happening? Why the constant shakeups? One of the current obvious shakeups in the Christian world right now is that over LGBTQ plus inclusion. I have a dog in that fight. It's an important issue to me. But that's one of the things that is is currently splintering churches. And why is that? Previously, there were other things that caused that. Different forms of baptism, different functions for and understandings of communion, different ways to consider what the meaning of the box is. And we're afraid that the box that we've settled on on the inside isn't necessarily as ironclad tight as we've been led to believe. Oftentimes, the response to that is to double down, to circle the wagons, and to go much harder at wrapping the confines of your box up, sealing it up, making sure that it's airtight. And you can see that in a lot of these denominational fights where we're going to double down on what our understanding of this is, our penalties for stepping outside of that. Um, You know, the Methodist church, which is an expression of the Protestant outcropping of Christianity as opposed to Catholic, is currently in the midst of that at the top level. You know, how do we understand that inclusion? What does it look like? Who's allowed in? Who's not? What are the conditions of their being allowed in or pushed out or excluded? But there's an intense fear of what if I got that wrong? Oftentimes, I think that that fear is living underneath our consciousness because we have been so trained to embrace the structure, to embrace the authority that to allow that doubt to seep up, to bubble to the surface causes more fear than confronting the fear that's lying underneath. And so it's kind of the lesser of two 
evils for lack of a better expression. Although I don't, I wouldn't say either is evil, but you know, you get, you get the gist of the term. And so, but an interesting thing happens is that every once in a while, there's somebody who comes along who decides that the, the internal strife of trying to reconcile the truth of, and the ironclad exclusivity of this box and all of the mental and emotional anguish that comes with holding that tight is not worth that fight. I've got to step outside. I've got to break it up. I've got to look or some other thing comes to light, right? You are all of a sudden confronted in a very real visceral way with the question. So somebody is born in Iran and they're given the box that they've been given. And they've been told that the box that they've been given is the ironclad truth. And it is the only way you're suddenly confronted with the notion of, well, what if, if you're brave, you're confronted with the notion of what if I had been born in Iran rather than suburban Chicago? What does that mean for my eternal future, my eternal self, right? And that's the other thing that comes with this religious packaging is this notion of the eternal, of the never ending. And so there are a number of different ways to think about what the word eternal means. But I think the most often way that we tend to flesh it out internally is this notion of never ending and forever. And that's also one of the reasons that causes a lot of this uh, static in people's consciousness is, is how does a God that possibly could love me reconcile with the notion of eternally forever, never ending, tormenting somebody else for randomly by chance being born in a different place in a different time. That's a mind job. And so some of us start to deconstruct this and I'm going to kind of move out of the realm of religion. I, I just felt like that that was a pretty, that's a pretty easy context within to, to look at this. But I, I really do believe that this notion of boxes extends beyond that. Like I said, politics is certainly one, a certain understanding of economics. Like we in the West have been trained that there is only capitalism and then there is only socialism. And there's no in-between. There's no other alternative option by which human beings can regulate, maintain, make sense of the resources with which we live on this planet. And those are boxes. And we've been trained to believe that those boxes are exclusive. And one is good and one is bad. We have boxes about, I'm this way. I am, I've been trained to believe, for example, that I am emotional, or I've been trained to believe that uh, I'm a procrastinator, or I've been trained to believe that, um, you know, whatever, I'm a failure. And, and this reinforcement creates this box within which we're stuck and we see this as defining, this is what I am. And the notion of trying to get outside of that, which what I am is terrifying. Now, in some cases, we absolutely want to get out of that box. 
But again, those boxes are crafted and shaped so hard that it's hard to to get out of them. Sometimes the authority that shapes the box isn't in, doesn't come in the shape of a person, but it comes in the shape of repeated experience. And that's not to say that that experience is necessarily a valid determinator of who you are, what you should be, but that sheer act of repetition is a reinforcement mechanism. It's what we talk about building up muscle memory. You, you repeat something over and over again until it becomes unconscious. Right. The notion of praying incessantly is brought up in um, by Paul in, in the uh, New Testament. And so there were uh, some religious folks uh, who came up with this notion of the Jesus prayer, which is this prayer that you learn to recite over and over again and you internalize it and you try to sync it with your heartbeat so that it becomes something that becomes as natural as breathing. You're not consciously thinking of this prayer. It is just a natural mantra that becomes a part of who you are. Some of us decide that we need to get outside of the boxes and we need to deconstruct that which we think makes us up or that which holds us within this box. Now, for some, in some circles, the very word deconstruction is terrifying. And it's it's a bad word. If you're deconstructing something, right, it's in the same, same way. I, I, I would argue that it falls in the same categories if you were to say to uh, somebody who is politically conservative, uh, if you were to, to mention the word woke with them, the reaction you would get from somebody about the notion of wokeness is the same, or at least in the same ballpark, same quality of the reaction you would get from somebody who's religiously conservative when you mention the word deconstruction. It's like you can't deconstruct it because that is the box. You deconstruct the box, you're taking apart everything that is reality, that is true, that is essential to how I understand what I am. You take away my safety and you introduce fear. In the same way, if you mention woke in those political perspectives, right, you are waking up ideas that shake up my understanding of how the status quo is supposed to be, of how the social structures are supposed to be, and you're going to rock this boat and make things unstable. I mean, that's why the the, the civil rights movement played out the way that it did and why there was such a fierce opposition to it. It's like, you can't change this. You know, anytime you hear somebody talking about going back to the way things were and pardon the the phrase, but make America great again, returning to normalcy, all of that is about saying, I want to go back into the box. I want to go back into that, which I felt comfortable in, which reinforced my sense of self, my sense of truth, my sense of being, my sense of belonging. Belonging is at the core of maintaining the box. Because if you go outside of the box in any of these spheres that I'm talking about, religion, politics, if you go from the us to the them, right? It's terrifying. Here is the problem. 
earlier I hinted at the notion that, you know, we find ourselves constantly facing challenges to the box. The box is constantly being challenged, whether it's a new denomination, a new expression of a denomination, a splitting of a denomination in the religious sphere, uh, a new political stance, a new person representing a political party, a new idea, a new economic idea, right? All of these different things. This threat to the box is persistent. It is constant. It is never ending. Because evolution and growth and change are the only constants in this life. If you look at, I mean, even the Bible says that nature is the first revelation of God, of the way things are. Just look out your window, look at the leaves that are starting to to form on the trees, and just remember that those leaves died and went away and became something new. Look at the sun setting and the moon rising. Look at the earth spinning, look at the climate changing, look at the universe continually growing, look at the cells in your body continually dying and recreating themselves. Look at the way that we talk about wisdom comes with experience because with experience, what we're talking about is change, growth, evolution. And so as I wrap up here, what I'm gonna suggest is that anytime you find yourself living in, holding on to, perpetuating, reinforcing the notion of a box in your beliefs, in your understandings, in who you are. You are, by the very nature of everything that we can understand in the natural universe, going against the way things are, the reality of that in which we live. The box by definition, is always temporary and will always decompose and become something new. And then we convince ourselves that the new box always has been, always will be, and is the only way for us to understand who we are and what we are. What I want to suggest today is that we shout from the rooftops, no more boxes. Don't allow yourself to be confined in a box, no matter who helped shape the box, because that box is being reinforced at its core by fear. And anything in your life that is determining your experience in this life rooted in fear is not what is destined for you. Let go of the fear, let go of the boxes, allow yourself the freedom to change, allow yourself the freedom to grow, allow yourself the freedom to ask questions, allow yourself the freedom to say today, now, this is how I understand myself. And that's good enough. Tomorrow, when then becomes now, I might very well understand myself in a different way. And that's okay, because that is 
the only now that I have. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yesterday is gone. The only thing that you can live in and experience is now. And the only way that you can fully experience now is if you recognize that you are constantly and forever changing, whether or not you or the boxes that hold you want you to think that way. Thanks for listening. I'm glad to be back in the saddle. See you next time.